Welcome. This is the Sean Sandifer Show, where we're building a community of free thinkers, innovators, creators, and entrepreneurs. We are a new generation of leaders and problem solvers who seek to build better communities, a better country, and a better world. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Sean Sandifer Show. I'm Sean Sandifer, your host. I'm so glad you're here, and today I have a really special episode planned with a longtime family friend and big supporter of the show, Brett Getzel, who is currently the Vice President of Food Service Sales at a mid-sized food production and food processing company based out of Kansas City. And in the episode today, Brett and I have a great conversation about life and business, and Brett provides some really insightful advice, not only from his perspective in a corporate setting, but also just life in general. But before I get into that, I want to make a really special announcement, which you may have seen on my Instagram stories or my TikTok, which is that a couple weeks ago, the Sean Sandifer Show passed a really important milestone, which is a thousand listens on the podcast. And this was a couple weeks ago, so we're actually a thousand and counting. And I'm really grateful for that because this podcast was started a few months ago from a platform of pretty much zero, with zero start. And now we are more than a thousand listens. And with your help, we're going to continue growing to a thousand, ten thousand, a million, ten million, and beyond. I really believe that. I really believe that that's possible. And I say at the beginning of every episode that we're creating a community of young people who are free thinkers, problem solvers, creators, innovators, people who are change agents, people who believe that we can take action to create positive change in our communities state, country, world, and beyond. And that's really what we're, we're doing here right now on a small scale and a scale that I hope will continue to grow. And you know, it's difficult. A podcast isn't like a tweet that can be retweeted a bunch of times or even an Instagram or Facebook post that can be shared or a TikTok that can go viral. And so I'm really appreciative of, you, of your, your words of encouragement as well as when you help me to share the podcast by telling others about it or by screenshotting your podcast player and sharing it to your Instagram story or your Facebook story or your Facebook page and letting us know you're listening because that's how we continue to grow in the podcast market as well as my my own content that I post, obviously. But again, really excited about where we're going and thank you to everybody who has tuned in so far. But anyway, I mentioned that Brett and I have a lot of conversation about life and business and and just some few bullet points before I get into the interview. We talk about finding opportunities where you may not be looking. We talk about Brett's motto, which is to keep learning, always be learning. Even though Brett's in the middle of his career, he's in his 50s, always continue learning, that learning never stops. Brett gives us three book recommendations. He also talks about the concept of if not me, who? If not me, who? And it's about really taking action upon yourself, finding your, your, your passions, exploring your passions, exploring your interests. The idea of learning how to create value in a business setting, a corporate setting, relationships, mentor-mentee relationships. And, and, and finally, really the concept that a goal without a plan is a wish. Or put another way, a goal without action is a wish. So I hope that you will find many of these concepts to be either helpful reminders or, or helpful to you as you go forward into your career or currently in your career or just in life. And without any further from me, here is my interview with Brett. Brett Getzel serves as the Vice President of Food Service Sales for Seaboard Foods. 
Brett, a self-proclaimed foodie, is able to combine his interest in the food and restaurant industry with the skill of discovering creative business opportunities for meat products. As an integral part of Seaboard Foods' connected food system, Brett helped develop Seaboard Foods' food service division from its infancy in 2001. Now he leads a food service sales team, which consists of six regional managers, strategically located across the country, seven internal sales representatives, and three sales assistants, all who are committed to selling high-quality pork products to food service customers and their diners. A few of his other responsibilities include developing sales and marketing strategies and creating and maintaining relationships with distributors, operators, and national accounts. Brett graduated from Webster University with a Bachelor of Arts in Business. He completed his MBA with a finance concentration at Rockhurst University in 2020. In 2007, Brett retired from the Missouri National Guard after serving 22 years and completing a tour to Afghanistan. Brett, his wife, and his two daughters live in Overland Park, Kansas, and are members of Christ Lutheran Church. His passions away from work include scuba diving, travel, and culinary arts, and Brett joins us now. Hi, Brett. Welcome to the Sean Sandifer Show. Thank you, Sean. It's my privilege to be with you tonight. I'm really, really happy to be a guest tonight on the Sean Sandifer Show. Yeah, Brett, we're excited to have you. Brett's a big fan of ours. He's always, right from the very beginning, he's been posting and promoting us, and we're really excited to have you on. We just um, had my brother's wedding in St. Louis. We had a good time. Brett was there. His family was there. Brett, did you have a good time with the wedding? Yeah, it was really a top-notch event. I really enjoyed connecting with friends and family and then seeing all the young people. Weddings are always such a great collection of energy, and there's such a promise of hope and the future, and, and obviously everybody's always gussied up and got their best on. But uh, more importantly, it's the opportunity to connect and, and create friendships and renew old relationships and just really look forward to the future. But we had a wonderful time. Yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere, just a great summer night. And so I was glad that we were able to see everybody. And I said, Brett, I'm excited for our interview on Monday night. And so that's what we're doing now. And we're going to just talk about Brett's career as a vice president in, in, a, in a company and also a little bit about his military service and some his, his life advice, his life and business advice. Brett's spoken a number of times to uh, MBA program at his alma mater. And so he speaks to MBA students and business students and helps them through certain professional develop and development and leadership types of things. So we're, we're going to talk about that. But Brett, before we get into that, um, how about you give us an overview of just your experience, kind of your basic timelines. So we have uh, some background on who you are and what you've been doing during your career. Sure, Sean. I'm really happy to share that. Uh, this actually marks my 30 years uh, in the pork industry, really an industry and a, and a career path, which I fell into almost by mistake. I really didn't, as a young person, really want to pursue or have a desire to pursue this, but I uh, went to a summer job and that summer job turned into a 30-year career. So here we are. Uh, started my career in operations, plant operations, just working as an hourly employee, really learning the trade and learning the industry and all the details and the nuances of, of what goes into pork processing and meat manufacturing. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, take a promotion from the plant and uh, took a position at a corporate office and got to know many of the different facets of business as they occur at the corporate level, uh, scheduling, plant management, product management, uh, sales, logistics, all those different components. And then through that course, uh, I also did some educational things, which you so adeptly framed up there at Rockhurst and just really, really kind of grew in that time that I was at Rockhurst and really got to expand my 
knowledge and my professional experience while I was in that MBA program. So Brett, for some of our college students listening, and I have a number of those, they might be wondering, are you doing what you went to school for? Actually, I am. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I didn't start out that way, but my degree, my undergraduate degree is in uh, business of, you know, uh, business of arts, BA. And then as I moved up, what I found is, and, and I actually make this in my several of my pitches, if you look at CEOs and companies and you analyze their background, right, they typically come from a couple different sectors of business. Great question, by the way. They'll typically come from finance, they'll come from sales, or they'll come from operations. And the way I always pitch this when I'm talking to the, the college students is, very rarely do you ever find a CEO who came out of the purchasing department or the safety department. You know, they're always from finance, sales and marketing, or or operations. So my my pitch to the to the students when I'm talking to them is that if the goal is the corner office, if that's what you aspire to be, you know, you really have to set that career path very early on in life. Or what you'll find is that you'll get pigeonholed and you'll plateau very early in your career path. So depending on what you aspire to do, not what I inspire, but what you aspire to do, you, know, you really have to kind of define that career track very, very early. And your, your MBA is in a concentration in finance. So you kind of went down that, that finance route, but you, you focus, your focus is on sales than your company. Is that correct? Yep. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a VP and there's a couple layers above me. There's an executive level and then there's a CEO. So uh, the interesting part about the MBA path was, uh, as I was in meeting after meeting after meeting, I, I, there's a term that I always say in business called fake it till you make it. Right. And, uh, I would come out of the meeting and I would be nodding my head and shaking an affirmation of the content of the meeting. And I would go back to my desk and I would Google four or five topics that I had heard, but I didn't really understand. And I would sit in in the meetings and I would smile and grin and and I really couldn't contribute to the content of the meeting, Sean, because I just didn't have it, right? And I started to kind of reflect on that. And I thought, you know, am I already done? Am I already, have I already hit my plateau? Or is there, is there more ahead in life for me? And so I kind of looked at the folks that were, you know, pitching out these ideas. And it certainly wasn't a matter of age where, you know, I was older than just about everybody that was, was pitching these very sophisticated and complex concepts. And what I quickly come to realize, it was a matter of education and training. So I said to myself, you know, I can do one of two things. I can continue to fake it, right? Or I can take it upon myself to acquire the skills and talents that some of these other folks had. And that's what really pushed me to say, hey, you know what? I've got to really round out my ability with an MBA. And so once I made that commitment, obviously, which, you know, was a very significant commitment of time and effort and energy, I approached my boss and uh, I said, you know, I'm really interested in pursuing my MBA. And uh, I, I said, I think I can probably teach most of these classes. And he said, well, if we're going to pay for it, he said, you're going to get your degree in finance. And I said, oh, no, I don't even know that I could pass those classes. It had been a long time since I'd had advanced math. And uh, he said, well, it's your pick. You do what you want. So I, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm all in. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. So I, I, I enrolled and I started down the path of finance. And I had one particular class. It was called financial risk. And it was about black shoals and some hedging and options and things of that nature. And I, I compared it to my, you know, calculus four, which I had 30 years ago. And uh, it was every bit as hard. And, you know, you just had to put in the time, right? If you've ever done uh, financial modeling and calculations, you got to do it, do it, do it, do it some more. Now, Brad, if you can think back to when you, before you did the finance MBA to your, to your BA, what did you do directly after 
college? Did you start down that path? Did you, is that when you entered the National Guard? What, what did that time period look, look like for you? A little different than that. I actually entered the National Guard when I was in high school. And uh, right as a young man, right, I, I had this, this desire to belong, this desire to, to be something in, involved in something larger than myself. And the military certainly fits that. So I, I enrolled in the military as a junior between my junior and senior year in high school and had designs on joining the regular army. So I went off to basic training and I said, you know, I, I'm not officially in the, in the army, I'm in the National Guard. So I had that that, that option to return home, so to speak. And I said, you know what, maybe we need to, to take a different route. So I stayed in the National Guard because I really enjoyed and, and appreciated everything that it offered me in terms of opportunity, GI Bill, uh, college tuition forgiveness, those types of things. And in the travel, the, the things that I got to do, the places that I got to go, things I got to see were just, you know, life-changing. So I stayed in the National Guard and then actually went into the workforce and uh, needed to complete my degree, and I did that in night school. So at about 30, 31 years old, something like that, is when I actually completed my undergraduate degree and kind of just stayed in that mode there as I raised kids. So uh, it's interesting when you get to be my age, you'll talk to folks that, that they, don't, they almost take a pause in so much of their professional life or their uh, any other components of their life when their children are born, right? Because they're devoting all of their energy to, to raising their children. So took a pause there spent a bunch of time with the kids. Kids went off to college. And so the interesting part about the MBA is as I was in college with my MBA, the kids, my two daughters were in college at KU, uh, one with a degree in IT, which she just completed, and the other one pursuing a degree in finance and accounting. So we get a great, great thrill out of comparing grade cards, right? So the yeah. semester would end at the same time and I would throw down my grade card and they'd throw down theirs and we get to compare who did better in terms of the GPA. So your job in your 20s was the National Guard. You were in the National Guard until that was, that was your primary role during, I keep relating back to these early years because that's where a lot of our listeners are. But in your 20s, you were in the National Guard. You had not even started yet in the corporate world. Is that correct? Yeah, great, great point. So I was in the National Guard and I was an hourly employee in a plant. So if you want to relate it to like a sector, right? I was in the, 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 the packing house industry is considered the manufacturing sector. So I was an hourly employee in the National Guard without a college education, making just over minimum wage, but I was a laborer, if you want to think of it that way. And at the time, you really didn't have a vision or a plan or, or really a goal. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But as I'm going through this, you know, I'm, time is eroding and I'm getting older and getting older and saying, hey, where do I go from here? And uh, eventually was able to move into a management trainee program, which was kind of really uh, one of those life-changing moments when I, I talk about that in some way presentations, you, you sometimes miss them when they happen. But when you reflect and look back, you'd say, hey, you know, there was a pivot point there where I could have went left or could have went right. But I, I, I chose right instead of left. And then things turned out a certain way. But long story short, I, I didn't have a college degree. But Tyson was was really big on internal development and, and employee development. And I was fortunate enough to apply for and be accepted in their management trainee program. And that really started to open a lot of doors for me. I was able to participate in several of their training events, personal development events, um, just what they call frontline leader development, things of that nature that started to kind of build my skills and kind of mature who I was as a person. And then as I moved through different organizations in the facility that I worked at until I got into the corporate world, you know, the corporate office, if you will, that's when I finished my undergraduate degree and things really, really took off from there. And Brad, so when you, ent when you entered the, management training program. How old were you about that, at that point? 
Uh, so I entered that program in 1994, and so I would have been uh, 36 or 26, 26. So the takeaway for people listening is that if you're 18 or 22, maybe you have your degree, your path figured out, maybe you're not in college, maybe you're just starting the workforce, and you're not quite sure what you want to do yet, you have time. So, so Brett uh, went into this, this, this role, started his, his journey he's on really now at age 26. Uh, in the management training program. And I think that if you are somebody who you've, you've figured out one of your passions, your callings in life that you've, um, whether that be finance, accounting, business, or otherwise, any other kind of major or school, and you're 22, that's, that's a great head start. And time is on your side. And if you haven't figured it out yet, there is still time and it's never too late. I think that's a fantastic point. And I, I'm actually working as a mentor, a professional mentor with the Shawnee Mission School District. They have a professional mentorship peer-to-peer program wherein they connect young students with local business leaders and give them an opportunity to kind of mentor them through their junior and senior year. And, and I always have this vision, Sean, that the valedictorians, they're going to figure it out, right? The folks that are destined for med school and law school and engineering school, they're going to figure it out. There, there's a whole other group of, of young people, students, uh, adolescents, young adults that, that maybe aren't going that path. And I think what the message I'd like to bring tonight is the fact, you know what, there, there's a great opportunity out there for those folks at, to follow a career path, maybe much like my own. They, they get in on the ground level. They demonstrate all the good habits. They're, they're, they attend work on time. They're not late. They have good attendance and they work hard. And those opportunities will be there. And, uh, you know, as we talk about it today, granted, there's a lot of folks that college is in their future and good for them. Great. You know, they've got the financial resources and the aptitude, but for the folks that are looking at another path, you know, the door isn't closed and the world is rich with opportunities. And I think that's the message that's so important to get to those folks right now. Absolutely. And, and before we move on to go, talking about your experience in the business world, is there anything else you'd like to share about your time in the National Guard or anything else you did from ages 18 to 30? You know, I think that the benefit, and we always think in terms of what we get and what we give, right? There, there's a term we use, reciprocity, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little later. You know, the military is a great opportunity for people that want to give, but more importantly, the military offers an awful lot of opportunity back, whether it's travel, whether it's retirement, whether it's health benefits, whether it's uh, just simply pay, adventure. I mean, there's so many opportunities there with that, with the National Guard route. And granted, the National Guard is utilized a little bit different in terms of national defense today than the way it was when I was a young person. But uh, mm-hmm. I definitely encourage people to take a look at that, you know, rather than thinking that the, the door is closed because of a financial situation, uh, the National Guard may be one of those opportunities that will help open several other doors. So then in your late 20s, you got into the food processing industry, the food industry. And you've kind of been working your way up since then, working through that, getting experience. You're now the vice president of sales, as we mentioned, at Seaboard Foods. Tell us a little bit about that journey and your role today and just Seaboard Foods in general, the, the, how many locations there are, your, your kind of office life and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So Seaboard Foods is what we call an international agribusiness company. Uh, we're, caught, we're considered what they call a mid-cap in terms of Wall Street's concerns. Our stock trades anywhere between $3,200 and $3,600 a share. So it's, it's publicly traded, but, but closely held by the founding family, which is the Bresky family. Today, that organization is ed, led by Miss uh, Ellen Bresky. And then she has two children, Eli and Jack, that are also active in the business. 
and I suspect that someday we'll, we'll, we'll run the company. But the company is extremely, extremely diverse with the foods division uh, that I'm involved in being the largest aspect of the company. Also as an overseas trading group, which has assets largely in Africa and South America, is the largest shipper of commercial freight out of the port of Miami. Uh, we also happen to own 50% of the Butterball Company, which is a national brand that many people I'm sure are familiar with. And then we've just got assorted other agribusiness companies that we own around the world. So my role is in the foods division, and it's specifically in the foods division, I lead the food service sales aspect. So I've got six folks, as I said, that work around the country, and our goal is to interact with national chains, regional chains, uh, and distributors to basically move fresh pork. Uh, through our supply chain and deliver value to those end users and operators. Now, help us understand: Are you working on a in a meat processing plant, or do you have an? Is it an office space? What What's your daily life like in the job? Yep. So, uh, so two parts to that actually. In a normal, normal being the key word, in a normal environment, uh, we've got a, a very nondescript three-story building in Shawnee Mission, Kansas, and I have an office. Uh, if, if I'm traveling, which I travel intermittently. I'll usually be out in the field working with one of our customers, uh, whether they have a conference, whether I'm at a speaking engagement, uh, whether I'm providing information on commodities and pork production, exports, um, all kinds of different things as far as that goes. So my, my, my job when I'm in the field is pretty diverse. Uh, the, the reason I make such kind of an, an interesting segue out of this is our office is just being remodeled. So contrary to how folks went for the remote location of their home office, during the pandemic when the world shut down, I actually worked in the office because I had an office and I could social distance and things of that nature. So our office being is remodeled. I just moved to my home office last Friday and will be home office now for the next six months before returning to a remodeled, almost brand new office in January. Nice, nice. So um, who are your customers? I mean, do you sell to individual restaurants? Is this, are these grocery stores? You sell food products, right? Tell us about your products and just your product, your product chain. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in the interest of confidentiality, there's only so much I can say, but national chains. And, and if you were to say a couple of them, we probably use them. So think of us as we're pork suppliers, right? So uh, ribs, pork chops, pork shoulder butts. Uh, I've got another division, which I don't manage that handles the bacon, ham and sausage. But uh, a lot of our customers have a roadhouse in their name, if that helps you. Uh, if you've ever heard the jingle, baby back, baby back, baby back, that's us. So a lot of those folks that are using uh, pork in it, think of it in any form other than bacon, ham, and sausage, they're more than likely customers of ours. So we like to think that we've got two customers. Our first customers will be the distributors, and distributors are people that we ship our product into, and then they break it down and then subsequently deliver to actually what we call the stores. In the food service world, and I always thought it was kind of odd, right? In the food service world, we consider restaurants, we use the term stores, distinctly different than what you consider to be a retail store. Gotcha, gotcha. So Brad, what, what else about for people who might be interested in this industry or just the, the sales you know, the sales world in general, what is some general advice you have, some lessons that you've learned and, and took away through your, either your role as a executive in a business or as a MBA student, as a dad, whatever you want to share. I kind of want to open this up to you to share your advice for life and business to us. Inspire us with your wisdom. 
<laughs> so let's talk specifically about business, and then we'll kind of move into some of the other things. So you asked specifically about the business and industry. So the, I work in the ag business, and people don't generally think of ag as being a very sexy industry, right? I mean, we're all attracted. I, I always say all the students that go into college that are going to be doctors and lawyers and engineers, there just ain't that many doctors and lawyers and engineers out there. So you, you really have to kind of say, hey, you know, what's an industry that's that's got some appeal has 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 some demand and ag is one of those things people are always going to need to eat and and that's just kind of an interesting way to look at it and, and granted i mean you're not going to make the kind of money that an attorney makes or a doctor or, or any of those kind of folks but you know I, i've seen many many young people come into our business and before before you know it they're making a very very livable salary and they have a tremendous amount of opportunity so my message there is don't overlook the ag sector and, and that's in all of its forms whether it's trading whether it's sales uh, whether it's grain, whether it's protein, whatever the case may be, I, I just think that there's so many folks that kind of just dismiss ag. And I have been very, very impressed by the quality of the young people that are coming into our industry. And, and we're we're one of those folks, or one of those companies rather, that does a promotion from the bottom up, and we're constantly moving people up. And the quality of the young people that we're bringing in out of college is just exceptional. So that's the first thing that I would mention. The second part then relative to the job piece is, is, is sales as a process. And, and you think about, you know, how can I get into selling? And I always get a kick out of this when I'm being sold, right? If, I, if I'm the buyer rather than the seller, I'm looking at all the techniques and all the processes and all the things that the seller is trying to do. And you can see where they're missing, where they're hitting, things of that nature. So uh, you don't necessarily get out of college and go right into selling. Maybe you need to learn the product. Maybe you need to learn the product line whatever it is, but, but just know that selling doesn't necessarily start at the entry level. So those are the two things that I would probably uh, give in terms of advice relative to our industry. You, you kind of opened it up there, which is, is kind of neat. I, I can go a lot of different directions with this, and I'll reference some of the, the material that I've used at Rockers. But I was prepping for our call tonight, and I came across you know three different articles, which I think were pretty timely, particularly the audience that we're talking to. Uh, the first one I found was this fellow, it seems Paul Graham, and he's an investor in Silicon Valley. And, and the article, which was actually published, I believe, in uh, Inc. Magazine, if I'm not mistaken, he talks about how he gave up television at the age of 13. And, and there's so many different ways that you can spin this. I, I won't read you the article. And hopefully the listeners will find value this. So maybe go search it out. But the gentleman's name is Paul Graham. And what Paul Graham talked about was that at, at the age of 13, he realized that if he wasn't accomplishing something, if he wasn't learning something, he felt disappointed. And he, and he had pivoted from uh, the lack of exuberance to disappointment. And basically he said, hey, what can I give up to be able to focus on accomplishment, focus on doing good things? And he identified the time at that age anyway that he was spending watching television. And he just said, hey, that's got to go. Now, he's obviously, he's, I think the article said he's 56 today. So that was a long time ago. But he quickly identified the need to basically redirect his time and energy. And it kind of plays to that um, Stephen Covey illustration about the big rocks. If people are Seven Habits fan and they've seen that, the idea of big rocks. And obviously, TV's never one of the big rocks, right? So if you're going to redirect and reallocate your time, you know, TV's probably got to Take a go. moment and so, explain to us the, the big rocks analogies for people who don't know, who aren't familiar. Sure, sure. So uh, one of the entry-level training uh, tools seminars, if you want to think of it that way, that folks get when they get into business called the seven habits of highly effective people. And it's, it's the Franklin Covey, Stephen Covey series. And the, the big rocks is there's an illustration and you can find it on YouTube. There's 
many, many, many different versions of it on YouTube. But you take a glass jar, and let's just think of it as a small bucket or a pail, and the first thing you put in that are the big rocks. And the big rocks are the things that are most important, right? I think, and I, I always say that you can't do more than five things great. So limit your big rocks to five. And you put those five rocks in there and you think, my gosh, I can't get any more things in the bucket. And pretty soon you put some smaller rocks in there and they kind of find a way to filter the way around the big rocks and stuff. And you say, well, now the bucket's full. I can't put any more in the bucket. And then they take sand and obviously smaller particulate and they pour sand in and sand works its way around into the bucket. And again, the demonstration is the bucket's full. I can't put any more into my bucket and the bucket is represent representative of our life. And then the presenter will take a gallon of water and pour water into the bucket and water finds its way around all of the things and the bucket is now finally full. The, the theory is, is that had we put the big rocks in last and filled the rocks, filled the bucket with little sand, little rocks and water, and then chose to put the big rocks in, the big rocks won't fit. And so the, the theory, and I, I reference this all the time to my team, it's big rocks first. So if you're, if you're going to prioritize the things that are most important in your life, identify the top five. And typically it's religion, it's family, it's career, it's finances, and then that fifth one's kind of a fly ball. But never in the five is TV in the top five. Never in the five is social media in the top five, you know, and sometimes friends will be in there. But what you quickly come to realize is the things that are worthwhile, those have to take precedent and priority in your life, or you'll quickly fill it up and the big rocks will never find their way into your well, life. Well, it's interesting because I used to have friends, I, I would have friends in college and even law school, and they would be talking about all these different TV shows and Netflix they watch. And I don't have anything against Netflix or TV shows, you know, whatever. I, I watch it myself sometimes, but they would say, hey, have you seen this show? Have you seen this show? Have you seen this show? I say, no, I'm not really sure what that is. They would kind of make fun of me, but that's a good illustration. I never really had a great illustration for it, but I just, I guess my answer is I have prioritized other areas of my life. I don't spend a lot of time watching TV because quite honestly, I would rather be spending that time doing something that I feel is more, more productive. I'm not saying don't rest. I'm not saying don't enjoy your time, but just it's not the way that I choose to spend my time on a, on a daily basis. And I think that, that the point that, that illustrates is that we all have the same amount of time, but it's how we choose to spend it. And if you can identify your biggest needs and your goals, especially for, at an early on, at an early age or early early on, you'll have a great advantage and a great head start. I couldn't have said it any better, Sean. That was very well put. I'm, I'm going to stay with that theme, and I'm going to segue into a portion of the presentation you mentioned at Rockers. I, I, as you talked about, I graduated from Rockers with my MBA in finance last December. And, and I spoke to a couple of the different classes, just kind of one off, but I always would get to know the professors very well because, you know, they were close to my age and we had a lot of things in common. And I, and I would usually say, hey, you know, I, I do quite a bit of public speaking. If I can ever be of value to you and your class, by all means, tap me. So uh, March ish, uh, one of the professors sent me an email and said, hey, you know, I'd like you to speak in one of my classes. And I said, great. So I had about two months to prepare and I'm. I'm a big fan of walking. If you're a Steve Jobs fan, you know, he always used to write about walking around Cupertino. He would have walking meetings where people would come to meet him and he wouldn't even meet him in the office. He, he, there were, and I haven't been to Cupertino, so I'm just repeating what's in the books, but he would take people on walking meetings and they would walk the trails and hills around his office or around his home, actually. So but that aside, the, the bottom line is, is I, I did this presentation and a section in the presentation was about reading. 
and and my I bring in this stack of books, and I mean I I can we're, we're doing a video or a audio here, so you don't really see it, but it just stacks and stacks of books. And if anybody's done their MBA, they know a lot of the the coursework is reading. So I was reading that work, plus I was reading for my own benefit on all these other things. And usually they're business related or or they're leadership flat books, or I, I usually read one or two books a year for. I just simply entertainment enjoyment. But anyway, I had this big stack of books that I read. I've got another stack of books, what I, what I call our on, on deck. And then I got another stack of books that are in the hole. So the in the hole books are two years out, the on deck are this year. And then the other ones were the ones I'd read. And as I, I, I talked to the class for about an hour and the two things that resonated the most with the class, Sean, were the reading books, the books that I'd read. And then I had a, a segment on mentorship, and we'll talk about that next. But I was shocked at, at how many folks were interested in what I was reading. And the first presentation I did, as I ended, everybody wanted my reading list, or they were writing down all the books that I had stacked up there. And I said, hey, I'll, I'll go home, and I'll type up the list, and I'll send it to you. I had people, they wanted to buy some of the books. I said, no, I, I keep the books. You can, <laughs> you can buy them yourself, but you're not going to buy them. I keep this copy. But the point I was making was this idea that, you know, I'm in my 50s and I'm still reading for the benefit of learning. I'm reading for the benefit of knowledge. I'm reading for the benefit of education. And, and much like Paul Graham gave up TV, I watch other than a few sporting events, maybe the elections. I really don't watch a whole lot of TV because I would much rather be reading. And, and my goal is to read at least one book a month. And sometimes I'll read two, maybe summer I read a little less, winter and, and spring I'll read a little more. But it was amazing to me in the class that I was speaking to how this concept of reading resonated with the people in the audience. Uh, the other point I made about reading before we go on to mentorship was I found over the years the people that read well, write well. And, and my message to the students was if you're struggling to write, if you're struggling to develop meaningful content, if you're struggling to compose, you probably need to ask yourself how much you're reading. And I find so often that folks that read, write, and folks that write, read. Brett, I have your PowerPoint here, and I'm looking at the, the PowerPoint that you used to speak to Rockhurst, to the MBA students. And I, you had a reading list on there. I'm looking to pull it up, but since we're audio, and I'll see if I can get it published to people in case they're interested. But give us a few suggestions. What are your three? Let's say you're going to recommend three books to someone aged 18 to 30 starting out in the career. What, what three books would you recommend to them? So and, and that's actually a great question. The first one, and I always, this is my go-to, there's a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And, and if you cook it down, right, it's glass half empty, glass half full. And, and, that, that really is a personal choice. I mean, it's amazing how two people can view a situation and one person sees it one way and the other person sees it the other way. And, and Dr. Dweck does a great job of just illustrating all these real life opportunities where people had basically an opportunity to go left or go right, you know, glass half empty, glass half full. And inevitably all these people that chose the glass half full route were inevitably successful. Scott passages in there about John Wooden and things of that nature. So, mm -hmm. and that's a relatively easy read. It's not very um, scholarly, you know, like it's not a Harvard MBA business paper or anything like that, but Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck is one. And then I'm, I'm currently reading one and I really, really enjoying it. It's uh, called Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by Dr. Robert Sheldoni. So I'm a big podcast fan. I listen to your show as well as several others. And I was listening to one uh, on the investment podcast series and the, the, the guest speaker was Dr. Childani. 
and he, uh, he, he went through kind of his book and, and it was a great, great interview, but he made a reference in there, which I thought was so powerful in that uh, Charlie Munger, who's co-chairman of uh, the Berkshire Hathaway Corporation, sent Dr. Chaldowney one share of Berkshire Hathaway stock because his book had created such an impact at Berkshire Hathaway. And I, I believe, and I, I researched this, but I believe the stock was about $230,000 a share, one share. And everybody knows now it just busted, you know, the S&P because it broke through 430. And Dr. Chaldowney is on record as still saying he still owns the stock. So uh, definitely influenced the psychology of persuasion, mindset by Dr. Zweck. And then, you know, I really, really like the laws of leadership by John Maxwell. Uh, that's one that's real common in the MBA coursework as far as the, the, the leadership classes and things of that nature. So uh, granted, they're all good. Some are better than others, as you know, and, and I get all kinds of different references. It's funny, once you gain this reputation as a reader, that's what people want to talk about. Hey, what are you reading now? Or have you read this? And, you know, if I haven't read something that I think is insightful, I'll add it to the list and hopefully I get to it soon. And what I, what I want to encourage our listeners, and Brad, I'm sure you'll agree with this, is is reading is great and um, listening to podcasts is great. Learning is great. But I really want to encourage you that when you take something from the something you've read or from a, something you've heard, that you take action on that because the, you're not going to see real change until you sit down and say, okay, what do I want to do with this information? And I was listening to a podcast the other day from a, a successful business coach. And the business coach said, if you don't act on something within 24 hours of hearing this, the science is that you're not going to act at all. You're going to put the book on the shelf. You're going to put the pot, you know, turn the podcast off. So when you, when you read something, when you listen to something, take note, what do I want to do with that information with and, and related to something to your life, whether it's a new business you're trying to start a, a college you're trying to get into a degree you're trying to pursue a job you're trying to get a relationship, whatever, and write down one to three action points that you can do with that, that book or that podcast or whatever in mind. That'd be, that'd be my advice on that that reading is one thing, it's good, but take action. Yeah, I, I would layer onto that. I completely agree. I think you're spot on, Sean. I, I, I tell my girls all the time that a goal without a plan is a wish. And, and they used to not really understand exactly what I was talking about, but they've heard it so many times now. And really what you're talking about is, hey, I, I heard something, or I read something, and now I've got a goal and I've got to put an action plan behind that. To have a goal, but not have a plan is nothing more than a wish. In college, there's a lot, especially in business schools, there's a lot of push to the corporate route. And so I wanted to have Brett on because Brett is in the corporate world, in the business world. And, and I, think, I, think the industry, I think the industry and the economy is changing. I mean, it's not, it's not the same like it used to be where you'd go into work for 40, 45, 50 hours a week from a, on a set schedule. The, I, I think especially through the pandemic, we've noticed a big shift and a big change that you really are more so beginning to see companies have their employees or team members work at their own pace, set their own schedule, get their jobs and their tasks done. And so I think that that really goes to your point about intertwining those, those two, that work and life, that they all run, they all run together and find your balance that way. Or, or if, that, if that's something that's important to you when you're looking for a job, when you're getting started into a career. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better. I've got a peer that, uh, and I love his saying, he says, work is something you do. It's not a place you go. And I, and I think right. that really kind of tees it up very well. And I, he, he, I've never seen that print. It was just a saying that, I, that he shared with me. And I really think it validates the premise. Right. Could, could you enjoy, if you're, on, if you're on vacation at a nice resort in, in Mexico, and I'm not saying can't ever unplug, 
But if you're, let's say you're on vacation, are you going to be happy taking a call? Can you, are you going to, maybe not happy, but let's at least be neutral taking a, taking a work call. You know, for me, if I'm running my business and I'm on vacation, I've got to have my phone on, especially for open. I might get a call. I might get something, but you know what? I don't, I don't mind it because it's something that I love doing. I love seeing businesses grow. I love, um, you know, entrepreneurship and, and watching people take our products and be happy. And so likewise, if you're in the corporate world, are you in a, are you in a job and industry that you care about? Breads and food service, food industry, like you said, at the beginning of this call, people always got to eat. So are you passionate about it? Are you going to be able to take that call and not, and not get upset? And I think that that's a big question to ask yourself as you're thinking about what, where you're going to go. Absolutely. Good, good to say any better, Sean. Okay, Brett, let's go to uh, two more things. Uh, a couple more things here. I want to talk to you to mention mentorship and servant leadership. Um, whatever you want to say about it, I'll open up that to you. I know you talk about that a lot throughout your career. Well, so when I did the initial presentation at Rockhurst, I had mentorship as a section. And I, I, I kind of glossed over it when I was preparing because I didn't really think that it would resonate. I wasn't sure what type of a reaction it would get. And you never really know until you, you know, get on stage and the bright lights are on. So I got into this mentorship segment and I did that. And then at the end, we opened it up to Q&A and all of the questions were around mentorship. And I thought, my gosh, you know, there's really something here. So then the next one, I tweaked it a little more to, cons to consider more about mentorship. So th the point I was making was all of the questions about mentorship were about taking. They were about how can I do this and how can I get that and how will the mentorship work and all these kind of things. And, and as I was answering the questions off the cuff because I hadn't really delivered that material before. And I finally called timeout. I said, Hey, wait a minute. Okay. I said, every question comes from the lens so far of taking. And I said, and I actually had the books, the go-giver series, which is another version of reciprocity and reciprocity happens to be the first chapter in Dr. Kildani's influence of psychology of persuasion. And, and, and what I, and I, this was hard to do for the, for the age of the students and I, your listeners may not relate, but there's a scene in the movie Wall Street, which you're, if you're a business person, you've probably watched that movie more than once. But, but Charlie Sheen is, is, uh, is, is trying to basically create a relationship with Gordon Gecko, who is played by Michael Douglas. And so in Charlie Sheen's character is Bud Fox. And, and Bud Fox can't break through to Gordon Gecko. He tries and tries and tries. He cold calls, he cold calls. And then one day he comes across some information that he's able to provide to Charlie Sheen, Gordon Gecko. And from that point on, Gordon Gecko starts mentoring uh, Bud Fox, Charlie Sheen. And the point was he created a sense of obligation. He created a sense of reciprocity. And, and heaven help me, I don't know how I came up with this on the fly with these students, but I did. And I said, hey, look, Time out. Mentorship is about creating a sense of reciprocity. If you want to have a meaningful, healthy, productive, and satisfying mentor-mentee relationship, you have to create a sense of reciprocity. And so then we spent 10 minutes in class talking about, well, how do I do that, right? And it's putting in the extra time to anticipate a question or a want or need on the part of your mentor and delivering that value. And, you know, it doesn't have to be something something as significant as insider information, but maybe it's a news article that your boss should have seen but missed, or maybe it's something about the company in terms of the financials or productions or a metric or KPI. It can be anything, but it's not something that is going to be common knowledge. I mean, it's going to be something that you're going to have to put in the extra effort and the research to find something that's valuable that creates this sense of reciprocity with your supervisor. And I, and I, I worked that into the second presentation 
and it completely made sense to everybody in the audience. So that the point I'm making is mentors are very, very important. And I've benefited throughout my career from several mentors that took me under their wing and, and helped me and, and helped me avoid certain landfalls and pit mines or landmines and pitfalls rather in my, uh, in my career. So I've benefited and I really didn't even know at the time that they were acting as a mentor. I do now, but as I'm speaking to these people, I'm saying, Hey, if you're going to, if you want to enter into a mentee mentor relationship, find ways to create a sense of reciprocity. So that was the first thing about yeah, mentorship. And, you know, I think the questions to ask yourself are what value are you creating and what are you giving? What are you giving? Even if it's an entry level position, even what is motivating you? Why are you doing it? What are you, what are you providing? Cause the more you provide what Brett's talking about is, is the thought is the theory is it, it comes back to you. And uh, one of my business professors, really one of my, actually my toughest finance class at the University of Illinois, the, the, it, was, it was really a tough class, but the professor was really good. And he always encouraged us every day, listen to the, it was a podcast on what's going on in the financial world, the news, the stocks. And you mentioned it earlier, Brett, say there might be something that your supervisor, your boss, your mentor, whatever, they missed in the market. And if you can be on top of what's going on in the news with politics, with the global economy, finance, trade, stocks, whatever, and you're informed on those things, you're going to put yourself ahead of a lot of your peers just by knowing what the heck's going on. So that's, that's one way to create value. That's just the first example that I thought, thought of up top of my head that was always, you know, preached at us when I was in, in finance school. Well, you, you, there's a rule that we found called the 70-20-10 rule, which talks about how people grow, right? 10% and grow and learn, gain knowledge. 10% of your knowledge is acquired through formal education, like MBAs, certificates, uh, your, your bachelor's degree, whatever the case, 10%. 20% of your learning, your knowledge is acquired through peer relationships, whether it's a supervisor, whether it's a mentor, whether, uh, you know, whoever it is, but it's a personal interaction. So you got 10% from formal training, 20% from peer act interaction. 70% of your knowledge is from meaningful and challenging assignments and personal experiences. So what you're talking about, Sean, listening to podcasts, there's no formal education there. There's no peer involved. That's part of the 70%. And that's where the bulk of your learning and personal development comes from. But again, you're putting yourself in that position by listening to that podcast and maybe foregoing television or foregoing YouTube or foregoing social media. Go back to your peers that you talked about earlier about, hey, what YouTube show or what Netflix show are you watching? Well, you know, I was too busy listening to the podcast. You know, and it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be anything business related. It could be you're, you're volunteering, you're joining the Peace Corps, you're, you're, you're working at a ski lodge, you're, you know, the, your summer or winter after in college. It doesn't have to be something that's like this great, sexy internship, this Wall Street investment banking thing. It can be your local rural town real estate company. And all of those little areas, try to find those different pockets of experience because that experience is valuable. You can create value that way. It's an answer to what are you giving? So that's the mentorship piece. Brett, how about servant leadership? So I'll finish up with this one. I, I was traveling a couple of years ago. I was in the Atlanta airport and uh, just sitting there enjoying a sandwich. It had a long day and I happened to have a book with me. And uh, this young man came up to me and said, hey, what are you reading? And, you know, pretty obvious, right? I was reading this book, but by asking me that question, he created a sense of obligation and I had to answer him. And I, at the time, I think he was about 18 years old. 
and uh, he, he asked me about the book. I started to explain it. And then he started asking me about business school and education and, and business and, and what turned into about a 45 minute uh, conversation. And then I had to go catch my flight. And uh, I gave him my business card and, and, you know, I said, hey, if I can ever be of any value to you, that'd be, I'm certainly open to that. So we connected on LinkedIn and here we are three years later and I'm still connected to this guy. And uh, what, I, what I always use in the MBA uh, presentations that I give is I had no reason or no obligation to speak with Kendall whatsoever, but he came up to me. And, and, and engaged and initiated the conversation. And, and, and it's, I, I, I could have shut him down and just said, hey, you know, get on your way, kid. I don't have time for you. But I took it upon myself to talk to him. And as I've reflected on that over and over again, I always say, if not me, who, right? And the idea is, is that he wanted to talk to somebody and he had, and his questions were very, very good. And I've, I've since followed him on LinkedIn and kind of watched him through his whole uh, college career. And he's done extremely well. But for the listeners that are, are catching the podcast, you know, I, I really would challenge everybody. And, you know, we haven't talked a lot on this call about, you know, conservatives and liberals, Republicans and Democrats, but you probably know if I'm associated with Sean, which side of the continuum I fall to. But this idea, you know, Republican and conservative values. I don't, I don't discriminate, Brad. I don't discriminate. <laughs> they, they speak to individual accountability. And, and, you know, I won't get on the soapbox and talk about parenting and things of that nature, but, you know, the parents don't get in class and take the test for the kids. The parents don't go on the interviews. It's up to the, the, the children, the young people to do that and the college students and things of that nature. And that's all the individual. And you ultimately are accountable for yourself. But you get into this idea and you start to talk about volunteering and service, and mentoring, uh, you know, and, and I was thinking about this before the call today. It can be something as simply picking up a piece. Of, I, I was I was at a Walmart yesterday, and this is what has entered my mind. And there was a shopping cart that was left unattended in the middle of the parking lot. And I went over and I grabbed the shopping cart and I walked it up to the cart collection station. And and in my mind, the whole time I was thinking of, if not me, who, right? And there were probably 50 people that walked by that cart before I did, and any one of them could have picked up that cart and put it in its proper place. And there was a aluminum can that was smashed on the parking lot there in Walmart. And again, I picked it up and I put it in the trash can as I entered. And again, 50 people probably walked by that trash can or that, that aluminum can and didn't pick that up. And, I, and the idea is, if not me, who? And I think if more people would adopt that idea of servant leadership and that idea of if not me, who? I mean, you know, obviously it was real common for a long time. What would Jesus do? I mean, there's all kinds of little catchphrases and slogans, but it's it's amazing to me how society seems to ebb and flow through that continuum, right, of, of where they're at. And right now, I think we're in this idea of, you know, we're attacking people that are successful entrepreneurs because they're not doing their part. And, and I think it's the idea of always looking at the other person. And it's, I call it the man in the mirror moment, right? What can I do versus, uh, you know, what everybody else does? And Granted, JFK was a Democrat, but he had a great one, right? I mean, we, none of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. And if, if any of what we talk about tonight resonates with the audience, that would be probably one of the most telling things and the things that I'd like everybody to grab a hold to. Is and I that have that plate. I always, do something. I always talk about the plate I have. Sit on my desk. I'm looking at it. It's, it's a JFK quote. One person can make a difference and everyone should try. So right along that same, that same thought process. That's a great way to kind of bring our time together to a close, but I couldn't have said it any better. Yep. Yep. Brett, is there anything else you'd like to, you'd like to add a, a final thought or takeaway to anybody listening? 
you know, I, I, I'm going to go back to get into that Rockers presentation, and, and I'll say it to you this way. I, I recently bought an uh, Apple, uh, Apple iPhone 12 is what it was. And, uh, you know, when I got the iPhone 12, I got the earbuds too. And uh, Apple being, the you know, the, the consumer-friendly company that they are, they let you inscribe something on your, uh, on your iPhone earbuds case. And I, I sat for a minute. And I thought, I thought, and I thought, you know, I wanted something clever and catchy. And so I chose the words, keep learning. And, uh, I actually did that. I sent it in and then they sent me back the case of course with that inscribed on there. And I thought even at my age, you know, if I could come up with a motto or a slogan or a tagline, keep learning was the thing I thought that personified my mindset more than anything. And I would tell everybody that's listening to the podcast that you never, ever, ever stop learning. And, and, I've got a whole section on that, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, when you graduate from college, you're, you can't wait for it to be over with and you think you're done. And then you go to your job and the first thing you have is on the job training. And again, you think you're done. And then pretty soon you say to yourself, well, I'm going to go get my MBA. And again, you think you're done. And, and you know what? You're never done learning. And the minute that you're done learning, you probably are done living. So I would encourage everybody, don't stop learning and don't stop living. All right. Thank you. And Brett, how can uh, people connect with you if they want to reach out, if they have any other questions? Yep. So I'm on LinkedIn, Brett Getzel. You can certainly search me out there. And I'm also on Instagram. My handle on Instagram is just Brett Getzel, uh, no spaces, uh, dots, hyphens, or anything like that. So you can connect with me on either one of those locations. And I'm always available for speaking engagements, uh, advice, mentorship, uh, leadership, career counseling, anything like that. I'm, I'm always, I'm always looking to help. Okay, Brett Getzel, friend and Vice President of Food Service Sales at Seaboard Foods. Thanks for joining the Sean Sandifer Show. I'm Sean Sandifer, your host. Talk to you all next time.